This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. Well, good morning, everybody. It is six minutes past nine o'clock here in Hayesville, North Carolina. Welcome to a Friday morning wake-up call on Sports Country Radio, the 10th day of March, 2023, our final day uh, before we set our clocks forward on Saturday night. Uh, daylight saving time begins this weekend. I, I you know, I, there's a big debate whether we should do away with it. I, you know, I heard some. I heard somebody this morning on one of the morning talk shows talking about how daylight savings time, uh, when that happens, the amount of heart attacks and things like that in the country goes up exponentially. And, you know, talking about how it throws off everybody's rhythms. I mean, it doesn't seem like one hour should make that big a difference. Maybe it does. I don't know. All I know is I love it down here where I live in the south, uh, where in uh, during daylight saving time, we are uh, often still have light outside after nine o'clock at night, which is a beautiful thing. Uh, We've got lots to get to. This morning, a lot of college basketball stuff from yesterday. Um, got a few other things to uh, I just want to uh, touch on this morning. Um, did you see the thing at the uh, we before I took a couple of days off to work on uh, the chicken coop and some other projects around the house? Uh, we talked about that uh, those people that have been kidnapped uh, in Mexico. And it turns out that it was a case of mistake. It really was a case of mistaken identity. There was a woman was down there to get a tummy tuck or something, and uh, two of them ended up getting killed. Well, how about this? How about the cartel, the drug cartel that made the mistake and actually killed these people? The people that were responsible for doing it were actually turned over to the authorities by the cartel. And uh, supposedly the cartel published a letter yesterday apologizing uh, for what happened, as if an apology is going to make a whole hell of a lot of difference. But um, I can't even, you know, I know that there is, uh, uh, Barbara, Barbara and I have some, some friends that live down in uh, along the border, and they talk about how that there's people that work for these cartels that live in the United States, right? And you'd never know that they are necessarily a member of the cartel. They're, they pay their taxes, they, they do, but, you know, look, uh, this is one of these things with these cartels. They understand that it is a, you know, a political hot potato. And the last thing they need to do is be bringing down the wrath of the police uh, and the U.S. government and the U.S. military on what's going on down there. So they are they turned these people over and uh, basically to try to make amends and say, hey, hey, it really it wasn't us. They did it. We didn't do it. They they they're part of us. But, we you know, we didn't sanction this, you know, just to try to cover their asses a little bit unbelievable uh you know mexico never going there um and how about this how about you know there's this big lawsuit going on uh, where uh, dominion the people that uh, manufacture the voting machines across the country are suing fox news um because of uh 
the stuff that was put on the air uh, that they were, you know, responsible for election fraud, yada, yada, yada. Well, how about this? Um, as part of the whole thing, Rupert Murdoch, the head of uh, and the founder of Fox News, was deposed. And as part of this, it showed that Rupert Murdoch was actively telling his people and actively involved in politics, telling his people how to help out Donald Trump and the Republicans. This is unbelievable. This is unbelievable. They talked about, at one point, uh, Trump and uh, Mitch McConnell were trying to stop uh, West Virginia Republicans from nominating a guy uh, who had been convicted of uh, violating mine safety standards. To challenge, you know, and he was trying to challenge uh, Joe Manchin, uh, the Democrat. Both Trump and McConnell went to Murdoch, and Murdoch actually wrote in an email to his people, saying that anything during the day is helpful. But Sean, uh, meaning Sean Hannity and Laura, Laura Ingram, dumping on him hard might save the day. Basically saying, we need to help these guys out and (laughs) hammer this guy. And it worked. It worked. Because right after that happened, after that started happening, and it was right before the primary, um, things turned. It is unbelievable. You know, this is, and this is just further example of uh, the fact that Fox was peddling stuff that they knew wasn't true. I mean, it's just unbelievable. And yet, this is the this is the mouthpiece basically for the Republican Party, and all these people around the country believe what's on Fox News. And the more you dig into this, and the more you find out, you find out what a uh, a sham it is. You know, stories coming out about how Tucker Carlson. Uh, the guy who was the biggest jerk on that station actually loathes Donald Trump. And yet, you know, when he comes on the air at night, it's, it's you know, un- anyway, unbelievable, unbelievable. Uh, and, and this is in the sports world. And, you know, we've talked about the name, image, and likeness thing many times on this show about how, you know, that student athletes can now benefit from endorsing products. And, and make some money, you know, as social media influencers or as, uh, as spokespeople, yada, yada, yada. Well, talk about a slippery slope. And there is very little uh, oversight over this. Basically, it's the Wild West out there. Kids can pretty much do what they want. Well, how about this? You know, one of the big uh, controversies now is over AI and about how the new AI technology can help kids uh, not just college kids, but high school kids, plagiarize. Basically, put in a subject, and uh, put and and then the AI AI will write something for you. Now it's you know I've read some of the stuff the AI puts out, and I think if you're a teacher, you'd be able to figure it out pretty quickly. Um, but it's still an opportunity for kids to cut corners, even if they're not taking it all word for word from the AI. It is a way for them basically to not have to do the work, do all the work. Well, a young woman, uh, Olivia Dunn, who is the student athlete 
that probably makes the most money on the NIL deals in the country. Uh, she is a gymnast at LSU. She is making, uh, they think, more than $3 million. She has 7 million followers on TikTok, 3 million on Instagram. She's 20 years old. She's cute as hell. She's a gymnast. I mean, this is – how much of it this do you think is, you know, uh, a bunch of young boys, like, you know, drooling over a young – I'm telling you. And this is – look, and she's a hell of an athlete. Don't get me wrong. I mean, she was uh, uh, in a meet the other day and, and, and helped LSU beat Alabama on her uneven bars routine. She hit a 9.825 or 9.825. Um, now, she's not an Olympic athlete, but she is a very, very good college gymnast. So having said all that, the latest thing now is she is endorsing an AI. She is endorsing, endorsing Cactus AI. And it appeared, it was a 10-second video post on social media sites TikTok and YouTube now, she doesn't speak in the video, but there's a written quotation representing her that states, need to get my creativity flowing for an essay due at midnight. And then the video shows her on a laptop as the program, as she types in some words about why gymnastics uh, is the hardest sport. And almost immediately, a bunch of paragraphs appear about that subject. And then the video closes with this young woman, Olivia Dunn, delivering a thumbs-up gesture to the camera. So she is essentially now endorsing a way for college students to cut corners. Some might say plagiarize. You know, I, I, it's a very slippery slope we have here, folks. You know, this is a lot different than, you know, going online or going uh, to, a, uh, uh, to a book and just copying and pasting into your paper because you can't, you mean, that's something, that's a red flag that a professor will know immediately. But this is, these, these AIs are a way to kind of do it. It's not written as technically as a book would be. And uh, this is really a slippery slope. Look, this is... Uh, and I don't know if I agree it's it's quite as bad as this, but uh, one person put it as uh, the equivalent of saying, um, you know, I went out to a party last night and got drunk, and I got home using Tesla's autopilot. <laughs> I mean, is that what we want our student athletes to be doing? I mean, and, and technically they could, but you know, obviously nobody has. But I'm just saying this is another one of these issues where with no regulation and the universities not policing this or the NCAA not policing this or not having uh, written rules about what and what is not permissible, we have a problem. You know what I mean? Um, I mean, I think there may be rules like you can't promote like, you know, drugs or alcohol, but I'm not even positive about that. But where, you know, this is a very, very slippery slope. And this young lady is making a lot of money. And I, look, this is not, I am not faulting her per se. I am faulting the system. Because if you're Olivia Dunn and you're a college student and Cactus AI comes to you and says, hey, 
we'll give you a half a million bucks if we can use your your name and and you help us with marketing our program, we'll give you a half a million bucks. What 20-year-old college student is going to walk away from that? The answer is none. I would have done it in a heartbeat. So I'm not faulting her, but I'm faulting the system. You know, it's the same system that has now turned recruiting of high school athletes into a bidding war of, hey, we can get you this much endorsement money. And, it, you know, and we have boosters and lawyers and wannabe agents getting involved in this stuff. There is a lot of shady stuff going on with this name, image, and likeness thing. And somebody's got to get a handle on this. It just doesn't smell right to me, having, having one of our student athletes promoting something that could technically help kids cheat or cut corners. just doesn't seem right. So, um, Some uh, other news. Uh, Mark Adams officially resigned as the coach at Texas Tech. We knew this was going to happen when they announced that uh, he was not going to coach uh, in the conference tournament no matter what happened. Uh, even if they won their first round game, he would not coach in the Big 12 tournament. Uh, so we knew that this was that they were probably going to fire him. Well, after they lost to West Virginia yesterday, 78-62, Mark Adams announced his own resignation. Um, shortly, he waited until after the tournament game to do so. So it wasn't, you know, uh, I guess a distraction before the game. But look, here's the thing: um, the athletic director. You know, when he found out about it and issued a reprimand and, you know, they did an investigation. And, and look, the AD said, look, uh, that the AD, that they had determined that the inquiry was – it was it, yes, it was racially sensitive. No question about that. You don't reference slaves and masters, even if it's in the Bible, to black basketball players. You just don't do that. But that it was unintentional and an isolated incident. Basically, he didn't think before he spoke. Well, you know, again, you know, that's – something you got to do but now uh adams is out and, and look this is hard for adams he, he graduated from texas tech all the way back in 1979 right he'd been on the staff there since 2016 um and uh you know he had he'd been the head coach for a couple of years this was kind of like his dream job uh, away for uh, the, his final maybe head coaching job before he walked off into retirement and and make no mistake i don't think he will ever coach again at least not at the, at the Division One college level. I don't see how he can. I don't see how anybody's going to want to touch him after this. And just imagine trying to go and recruit kids to come play at your university, and you got to go to meet some black kids' parents, and the first thing they're going to ask is, hey, what about that master-slave thing? So um, Mark Adams is officially out at Texas Tech, and uh, he resigned on his own, but it was probably a resign before you were, you know, we had to officially fire you thing, but... Uh, be that as it may, he's able to walk away, I guess, with a little bit of his uh, a little face intact. Um, Georgetown yesterday fired Patrick Ewing. Uh, the Georgetown Hoyas were 13-50 and 50 their last two seasons. He coached there for six years. Uh, in those six years, they were 75-109. and 109. They only made the NCAA tournament once um, and lost in the first round when they did that. Look, this is a guy uh, that was a great player at Georgetown. They had so much success while he was there. He was a great NBA player with the New York Knicks. 
this was his he wanted to be a head coach this was his first opportunity to do that and he said when he signed he said look every coach knows as soon as you dot the i's and cross the t's at some point in your career you're going to be let go he said because you're going to be judged on your record it's wins and losses and uh, after the announcement he said look uh, he thanked you know them for giving them the opportunity to to be a head basketball coach and he said I'll always be a Hoya and uh, you know so and if you're Patrick Ewing I'm sure that this was not a surprise I mean it had been rumored all year I mean hell they at one point they lost 29 Big East Conference games in a row 29 in a row they went 2 and 18 in conference play this year 7 and 25 overall so it was just it's just been a disaster and now uh, they will have to pick up from there and, and, and see how it goes. But, uh, you know, this is a program that's got a great history, and I'm sure that uh, a new coach will be able to come in and rebuild that just because uh, they have a great tradition uh, to build on. Um, another coach that we didn't have a chance to talk about this because I wasn't here on Wednesday, but uh, Jim Beheim was relieved of his duties at Syracuse. Um, Jim Beheim had been at Syracuse forever. He's 78 years old. It was probably time anyway, but the way that this was handled was really weird. You know, after their uh, final game, uh, when they uh, lost to Wake Forest in the ACC tournament by three points, the reporters kept asking him uh, whether he was going to retire. And he said, and he kept saying, I always have the choice of retirement, but it's their decision as to whether I coach or not. Basically saying, hey, I'm, you know, I, I sure I could retire, but I'd kind of like to come back, but it's up to them. And so it just was a really awkward thing. And then the next day after that, we find out that he has indeed been let go and that Adrian Autry, who played for Jim Beheim and has been on the coaching staff uh, for the last 12 years, uh, is going to be given the job. It's just a look, and for a guy that has done as much for Syracuse basketball as Jim Beheim, this was kind of a crappy way to do it, you know. And whether you like Jim Beheim or not, whether you like the the two three matchup zone that he made so famous uh, while he was coaching there, is beyond beside the point. But this is a guy that with uh, that there's no Syracuse basketball without him. They made 35 NCAA tournament appearances while he was there. Five Final Fours. They won the national title in 2003. I mean, this is a guy who was the face of that university's basketball team for 40 years. And not just a basketball team. Jim Beheim was Syracuse. Everybody knew who Jim Beheim was. So just kind of an awkward ending uh, to his tenure at Syracuse, and I think he deserved better. And I hope when Syracuse thinks about this, I hope that they do the right thing and you either bring him back for some uh, big official send-off or you you got to do something better uh, than the way you showed him the door this week. Just, just awful. Uh, one other quick coaching note. Uh, Bill Self, the head coach of Georgia, um, is not going to be with number three Kansas for the Big 12 tournament. And Kansas has not really told us exactly what it is that's going on, but he had had some, he has some, had some kind of medical procedure done, and he was not uh, – and, and so they announced that he wasn't going to be able to coach 
in the opening game, but they haven't told us what it is. They ended up beating West Virginia 78-61. Uh, Norm Roberts, uh, who has been his longtime assistant, is going to lead Kansas for as long as he is out. But he is definitely going to be out for the, the Big 12 tournament, and whether or not he is going to be back for the NCAA tournament, who knows. Uh, the only thing we do know, Kansas said that he did not have a heart attack, but he had some kind of medical procedure done. So don't know what it was, but it came on very, very suddenly. So, uh, look, at the end of the day, you just got to hope that Coach Self is okay. Great guy, by the way, and and I really hope that uh, he's going to be fine. Um, uh, but fortunately, having a, a guy like Norm Roberts, who's been there for as long as he has, uh, should help Kansas. And, and, and by the way, uh, the kind of t- talent they have should help Kansas get through this tournament, and then uh, we'll have to see what happens as far as the NCAA tournament goes. Uh, I spent a lot of time yesterday afternoon watching Big East basketball. I, there is nothing better than the Big East basketball tournament, in my opinion. Uh, and I watched the UConn game yesterday afternoon, and it looked like UConn was firing on all cylinders, looked like they were just going to blow Providence out and uh, you know cruise into the semifinals. Well, UConn wins the game, 73-66, but they did not exactly cruise into the semifinals. After opening up a 26-point lead in early in the second half, they allowed Providence to go on a 26-5 run over the last 10-11 minutes of the, the game to make this a game. Providence got it all the way back within five points. And fortunately, a big three-pointer from Alex Caraban uh, a couple of uh, uh, nice threes late uh, helped UConn survive, but man, they have got to tighten this up. We've seen this time and time again with this UConn team. They get big leads and they lose focus. They started committing stupid fouls, turning the ball over. They turned the ball over, I think, 18 times in the game, most of those in the second half, and some of them were some of the Dumbest turnovers you've ever seen in your life. You know, you're going to make a, a pass to the sideline. You're going to make a casual bounce pass from 25 feet away. So a guy, all he has to do is just jump into the into the passing lane, pick off it, pick it off, and, and go in for a layup. We saw that twice in the second half. Just dumb things. And then Providence put on a full court press, and Jesus, I mean, it was like UConn almost wet themselves. You know, you can't. I mean, they were. They were unbelievable in the first half, UConn was. I mean, their defense was ridiculous. I think they held Providence to like 28% shooting in the first half, something like that. I mean, this this should have been a walk in the park. UConn led 35-19 at the half, but allowed Providence to score 47 points in the second half. Unbelievable. Uh, but, I mean, if you're a fan, I mean, uh, of, of basketball – it was fun to watch, and it was. But if you're a UConn fan, you know you're probably you were reaching for the tums because it, I really thought they were going to blow that. I really did. Uh, but UConn ended up shooting 53 percent for the game. But the big difference is UConn did not go to the free throw line. They went to the free throw line five times the entire game. And Providence's pressure was just that was the difference in this game, and UConn's lack of focus. Look, they've got a lot of talent, but they really it's it's like you can't take your foot off the gas. You just can't. 
especially in the Big East. There's too many good teams in the Big East. Ask Marquette. Marquette, who won the regular season title in the Big East, damn near got knocked off yesterday by St. John's. St. John's, who was the tournament's, uh, you know, should have been an easy win for Marquette. Marquette's sixth in the country, for God's sake. St. John's led this game by 13. Marquette does a hell of a job to come back, and they win the game 72-70 in overtime, and they have to thank all that is holy, the fact that St. John's couldn't throw it in the ocean in the overtime. St. John's went 0-7 for from the field in the overtime. They had nine points in the overtime, but they were all from the line. And if you're Marquette, you've got to be concerned because this is a team that you should have blown out, and you allowed that team to go to the foul line twice as many times as you did. But Marquette's got Tyler Kolick, and Tyler Kolick was the difference in this one, and now Marquette waltzes its way into the semifinal. Well, no, not waltzes. Crawls its way uh, into the semifinals, and now Marquette gets to play UConn. Those two teams split the regular season meetings. Both teams won uh, on their home court, but Marquette has not lost a game since February 7th. Who beat them on February 7th? That's right. University of Connecticut beat them 87-72. to Game is at 6 o'clock tonight on FS1. It should be a lot of fun to watch. Uh, I cannot wait to see that. Creighton uh, survived Villanova yesterday. They beat him 87 to 74 last night. I watched, I watched about half of this, and then I just, I it was, it was time to go to bed. And now Creighton gets to play Xavier for a chance to go to the Big East Finals. And I'll tell you what's at stake tonight for this UConn team is look, if UConn can get by Creighton, get to the championship game, they're probably going to be a three seed in the tournament. If they get to the championship game and win the Big East title, UConn could be a two-seed in the NCAA tournament, and that is huge. They need the higher seed that UConn can get, the better, because you get to be a four-seed in the tournament, things get a little bit dicey because you, you play some dangerous opponents very, very early in that tournament. So there's a lot at stake. Uh, if Creighton wins the whole thing, Creighton will be – I mean, if Marquette wins the whole thing, Marquette will be a two seed, no question. If they lose to UConn, they could drop to a three. So uh, a lot of implications to NCAA seeding coming up uh, at this one tonight. 32 minutes past. Yeah, we're going to take a break. We're back in a minute. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It is 34 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to The Wake Up Call on a Friday morning. And uh, the University of North Carolina lost yesterday to number 13 Virginia in the uh, second round of the ACC tournament. They lose 68 to 59, and it is very, very likely now that this North Carolina team is going to become the first preseason AP number one to miss the NCAA tournament. Now, look, uh, North Carolina still has 20 wins this season. They're 20 and 13. We're going to find out how much their reputation and the cachet of having the University of North Carolina 
in the tournament. See, does that mean anything at all? And I don't know what the answer to that is. If you're looking strictly on numbers, no. North Carolina will not be there. They will be uh, in the NIT tournament and maybe be the favorites uh, to win the NIT. But just think about how disastrous this is if you're a North Carolina fan. This is a team that had an incredible run last year, right, in the NCAA tournament. I mean, they got to the national championship game. They had four starters back from that team, and yet they were never able to find their rhythm. Uh, so they are bounced, um, but against you know against top tier teams, North Carolina this year was one and eight. They call them quadrant one wins. Those are you know. Uh, teams that are considered the elite. The only quadrant one win that they had all season was against Virginia, and Virginia was a borderline quadrant one, quadrant two team. So, you know, and and this, look, I'm not saying it's not going to cost anybody their job necessarily, but, you know, if you're Hubert Davis, You've got a lot of questions to answer about how you can return that much talent and not even make the NCAA tournament. I mean, it's it's unprecedented. Um, the other uh, thing I spent a lot of time doing last night was watching uh, hockey. As uh, I, I, look, I the older I get, the more I appreciate hockey. Now, look to me, hockey is better to actually go. To the rink, it's much better to go to a game live than watch it on television. But this Boston Bruins team this year has been so much fun to watch that I have ended up watching the majority of their games, or at least part of them. Uh, last night was the first time that the Bruins – it's been a magical run. There's no question. Last night was the first time that magic kind of uh, failed them a little bit. They lose to the Edmonton Oilers at home 3-2. to two. Darnell Nurse – uh, with the winning goal with just under five minutes to go in this one. Uh, the Bruins have dominated teams in the third period all year. Dominated. Uh, their goal differential in the third period is plus 50. Bruins also had their 10-game winning streak snapped. It was also the first time this season that they lost a game when they scored first. So they are now 33-1-3 when scoring first. They also became the last team this season to lose in regulation when leading after one period. They hadn't lost a game all season when leading after two periods until last night. Bruins got goals from uh, Brad Marchand, David Pasternak, led 2-1 at the end of two periods, uh, but just never were able to get any sustained pressure offensively last night. Uh, Jeremy Swayman ended up uh, making 19 saves, giving up the three goals. Uh, they were It could have easily been a, a 4-2. The, uh, Edmonton missed a couple of wide-open opportunities at the empty net. Uh, but a tough loss for the Bruins. No question about that. But, you know, nobody's feeling sorry for the Boston Bruins. 103 points. Um, Carolina wins last night. They are the team closest to them um, in the Eastern Conference. And uh, – they beat the Philadelphia Flyers last night, one 
nothing. The only uh, goal in this game was uh, Svetchenkov at 2.09 of the first period, and then they played a scoreless game the rest of the way. But Carolina with that victory now with 94 points, so they are now within nine points uh, of the Bruins. Uh, the New Jersey Devils are 13 points back, so everybody's trying to chase the Bruins down. But uh, that was a tough one last night. And, and even after they gave up that goal with about four and a half to go, the way this season has gone, I really expected them to find a way to send this one to, into overtime. Uh, the Bruins will be off today, and then they will have back-to-back games this weekend. They have a brutal schedule coming up. They are at home with Detroit on Saturday, and then they have to go to play at Detroit on Sunday. That'll be interesting as well. Back-to-back games against the Red Wings. Uh, Tyler Bertuzzi, who re- recently came over to the Bruins at the trade deadline from the Red Wings, will be playing against his old team, so that'll be interesting. But when you look at this Bruins schedule, uh, they are in the midst of playing five games in essentially seven days, right? They have uh, five games between March 9th and Thursday, March 16th. And then they've got another stretch where they uh, they play five games in seven days. It is a brutal schedule for the Boston Bruins as uh, they head down the stretch here. But with that big lead, and here's the thing, too. The Bruins are in a position now. They win one more game. They can actually clinch a playoff berth. I mean, you know, or or clinch. uh, They can't clinch top seed, but they will clinch a playoff berth with their next win. I mean, look, even if they lost every game between now and the, (laughs) the end of the regular season, they're probably still going to make the playoffs. But that was a tough one last night. There is no doubt about it. Um, The Boston Red Sox continued their spring magical run, I guess. Not that it means a hill of beans. But if you you look at what they've done this spring, including the exhibition games against Northeastern and against Team Puerto Rico, the Boston Red Sox are 11-0-3 this spring. I... It makes zero sense to me. They beat the Yankees yesterday in spring training 11-7. Uh, the only regular to play in this game, or the I shouldn't say regular, the only guy that is probably going to make the Red Sox team uh, that played yesterday in the offensive lineup anyway was Reese McGuire, the catcher. Uh, Nick Pavetta pitched. Nick Pavetta was not good. This is the second straight time that Pavetta has been underwhelming. I know it's spring. You can't read a whole hell of a lot into it. Uh, but yesterday, a couple of innings, three hits, two runs. He walked three guys. Um, so his two appearances have been underwhelming. Now, physically, he's fine. Um, he's trying some different things this year. He's trying to replace his curveball with more of a harder breaking ball. Um, and so he's been working on that, which is what the spring is for. But, look... With Paxton down, right, uh, we don't know when he's going to be coming back from that hamstring strain. He's probably going to start the season on the injured list. So Pavetta becomes that much more important, and uh, the early returns uh, are not good. Not good at all. Uh, And, uh, you know, the only, I guess, I don't know, I, I, 
I worry about that. I, look, Corey Kluber pitches today. Kluber's looked pretty good, but he's not a guy that's going to blow people away. He pitches to contact. There's no question about that. Uh, the good news for Boston, I guess, is Brian Bayo, uh, who had that forearm problem through a uh, bullpen session, I think yesterday or the day before, through 40 pitches, no issues. Um, the arm feels good. He's going to throw live batting practice on Saturday, and then they're going to see what happens. Chances are we will see him in a spring training game next week, but that means he is probably going to start the season on the injured list as well. So now it's like uh, with the way Pavetta's pitching, Paxton down, Bayo down, uh, Whitlock is going to start the season uh, on the injured list. All of a sudden <laughs> it's like uh, – uh, Who's going to be, you know, who's going to be in the rotation? Right? Who's going you know, <laughs> I talked about my optimism of these old guys being being able to uh, to contribute. But now it's, you know, Sale, Kluber, Pavetta, and then who? Right? It's not going to be Bayo yet. It, is it going to be Cutter Crawford? He's looked decent. I mean, but again, here we go. So this 11-0-3 in spring training can fall apart real quickly when you start facing major league hitters um, on a consistent basis. Um, if you're a Yankee fan, Clark Schmidt pitched yesterday. He was okay, I guess. You know, three innings, four hits, couple of runs. Uh, the reason the Red Sox won this game, by the way, former Red Sox hurler Tyler Danish came in in relief and gave up six runs, six hits, and three bombs in the third of an inning. <laughs> but if you're a Yankee fan, how scared are you when you take a look at your starting rotation and you realize that everybody all of a sudden is hurt? Carlos Rodon, their big free agent signing, has a forearm strain. He is going to start the season on the injured list. Frankie Montas, who you made the trade for last year with the Oakland Athletics, you gave up three or four prospects to get this guy. He's had shoulder surgery, and chances are he is going to miss the entire 2023 season. You've got uh, Lou Trevino out of the bullpen who's got a ligament problem. They're worried about that. Tommy Canely's got bicep tendonitis. All of a sudden, that Yankee pitching staff looking a little bit thin as well. Uh, Brian Cashman, GM, taking a lot of heat right now over this Montas thing because people are questioning um, why the Yankees gave up so much because Montas came right out and said, hey, they knew I wasn't right when they made this trade. You know, they knew I wasn't 100%, but I was trying to work through things. And, you know, so they knew I was damaged goods. And now Brian Cashman is, look, Brian Cashman, no matter what seems to happen, uh, they survive. Or he survives. But there are a lot of Yankee fans that are pissed off right now. Um, so, and, 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 and rightly so perhaps, um, as far as, uh, the Red Sox in the uh, world baseball classic goes, uh, Kike Hernandez, by the way, if you're the Red Sox and again, I know it's spring, but if you take a look at what Kike did for the Red Sox, uh, in spring training games, and then you look at what he's done for in two exhibition games. Uh, with Team Puerto Rico against the Red Sox and then against the Braves. The Braves beat Team Puerto Rico yesterday in an exhibition 9 nothing. In counting all those games, Kike Hernandez is a whopping 1-for-17 this spring training. Again, you know, 
normally you would say, okay, it's spring training. It doesn't mean a lot. But when you take a look at how much Kike Hernandez struggled last year offensively, look, he's, nobody's questioning whether the guy can play defense or not. Uh, and he's always been a decent offensive player, but he struggled mightily at the plate last year. And to have him, after coming off of that season, uh, struggling a little bit here uh, in spring training, you got to be worried. 48 minutes past. Yeah, we're going to take another break. We're back in a minute. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It is 50 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to The Wake Up Call. You know, one thing with the uh, World Baseball Classic going on now, the spring training games are uh, a little tougher to watch than usual because a lot of the quote-unquote stars, guys that you want to see, um, are all playing for their respective countries right now. I mean, look at the Red Sox lineup yesterday with, you know, Kike Hernandez playing elsewhere, Matsusaka playing elsewhere, Rafi Devers, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, you've got so many guys that aren't there uh, that it's uh, you truly need a scorecard to figure this out. Uh, interesting thing with the Red Sox, by the way, with the World Baseball Classic, when Vlad Jr., the first baseman, uh, from the Toronto Blue Jays went down with that uh, knee soreness and wasn't going to be able to play for the Dominican Republic. Well, the DR came up with an idea. They wanted to play Rafi Devers at first base during the WBC um, because Juan Soto's dealing with a sore left calf, so they didn't want to put Juan Soto in the outfield. They've already got Manny Machado at third base, so they said, well, we'll put Devers at first. Well, they consulted with the Red Sox, and the Red Sox said, oh, not just no, but hell no. You know, and Alex Cora said, look, it doesn't make any sense. He said, I, I understand people get hurt, but there's reason the people who got hurt aren't playing, right? We have to protect our guy as well. Um, they just felt it was too much of a risk. He said, and the Dominican Republic understands that, but, you know, he said, look, you know, when you've got good players, you've got to make some tough decisions. He said, Rafi's just happy to be part of the team. So uh, they played an exhibition game against the Twins yesterday. Rafi didn't play. He came off the bench uh, as a pinch hitter. But uh, that's the situation that, that a lot of teams are going to be facing with guys having to pull out. Uh, but I love the fact that the countries are being respectful um, of uh, each team. You know, like they consulted uh, – Puerto Rico consulted with the Red Sox – before putting Kike Hernandez in center field because they know he's going to be the shortstop for the Red Sox this year. But the Red Sox also know there's going to be times that Kike may find his way into center field, especially if Adam Duvall uh, continues to struggle at the plate and, and can't find his way offensively. Um, so, uh, you know, but they consulted with the Red Sox on that, which I think is great. Um, so, you know, we'll see. I, but I've been enjoying. I've watched some of the, uh, some of the games. It's fun. Uh, you know, and it's interesting, you know, you watch a team like the Netherlands play and you like the net, but most of the guys playing for the Netherlands are guys that are like from Aruba and stuff. So it's not like they're not coming over from the Netherlands. Some of them are, but most of them are, you know, a lot of the guys on team Italy are guys, uh, that are from, uh, the United States anyway. What's neat is the team from Czechoslovakia. The Czech team is all a bunch of amateur players. Um, most of them are not from the United States, and they are just having the time of their lives. They've actually won a game. You know, I mean, and that's, it's, that's what's fun. It's, it's what's fun about the WBC. I, I almost wish they would have it at the end of the season. But I also understand a lot of the MLB players aren't going to want to play at the end of the season because they're worn out. But, man, 
it would be so much more fun if if you could have it at the end of the year and everybody could just play um, a full game and play the way you know and be in in great shape and be in game shape I guess is what I mean and and ready to go but I really enjoy the WBC I've always enjoyed international competition that's why I like the Olympics so much you know I know there's a lot of people that are down in the Olympics but I have from the time I was a kid I have always enjoyed uh, the Olympics. Uh, the Players' Championship in golf yesterday, Chad Ramey uh, fires an 8-under-64, rather an unlikely leader at the TPC Sawgrass. Uh, he's got a one-shot lead over Colin Morikawa. Uh, it was a pretty calm day yesterday. The winds were, were down, but uh, didn't help Rory McIlroy. Uh, he won the Players' Championship in 2019. Well, he had a 6 in his first hole and a 6 on his last hole. Uh, ended up with a 76 four over par unless he has a big day today there is a very good chance that Rory McIlroy will not be around for the weekend uh, Scotty Scheffler fired a 68 he's four shots off the pace uh, Jordan Spieth uh, also played very well I think he was still on the course they had to suspend play but I think Jordan Spieth is also four under par uh, so it's uh I always enjoy it of course everybody likes to watch the TPC Sawgrass because of the 17th hole the island hole uh I always just wanted to go there just to just to take a few shots. One guy, from, I can't remember who it was on the tour yesterday. One of the players yesterday put four balls in the water. Four on that hole. I probably would do the same thing, but I would love to go down there and just be able to take a shot at it and see. They have a, ca- a caddies tournament on Wednesday uh, before the tournament starts, and all the caddies uh, get to take one shot. And, uh, and and I think the closest, somebody actually hit it within a couple of feet of the pin. Uh, but there were more balls in the water than there were balls close to the pin. But I'd love to be able to take a shot at that one day. Um, hey, Robert Blake died yesterday. Remember him? Uh, Beretta from the TV show. But, of course, uh, unfortunately for him, uh, he's better known for uh, uh, going on trial and being acquitted of killing his wife. I mean, that was uh, that was. Unbelievable. I think that was back in, what, 2002? And, uh, but he was acquitted and basically disappeared. He was hoping to have a comeback after that, but nobody wanted to get near him. But, uh, look, this is a guy that had a hell of a career. I used to like the show Beretta, to be honest with you. But he was a child star. He was in the uh, the old R-Gang uh, serials back in the day. He was actually in, and I didn't know this, um, The Treasure of the Sierra Madre. He was a, a kid in that movie, played alongside Humphrey Bogart. Uh, but he died yesterday uh, at the age of 89 from heart disease. And uh, uh, great actor, troubled guy, had 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 temper issues. But you know, tragic way to end your life, I guess, being accused of murder. And you know, it's but, but a lot of people with Robert Blake think the same thing of O.J. Right? They both got acquitted, and most people still think that they they did it, whether that's true or not. That's going to do it for us here this morning. We'll be back Monday with another edition of the Wake Up Call. Hey, it's Carrie Underwood's 40th birthday today, so we'll leave you with some music from Carrie Underwood. This is Blown Away. We'll see you Monday. You've been listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country.